Hello everybody and welcome to a very special episode of the Football Rambles Guide 2, brought to you in partnership with Toshiba TV. I'm Marcus Speller. I'm Luke Moore. And I'm Andy Brassel. With a festive period of family entertainment just around the corner and a winter of footballing action just getting underway, there's no better time to upgrade your home viewing experience. The feature-packed Toshiba UK 4D Smart TV offers incredible big screen moments for everyone. 4K HDR10, Toshiba's true picture engine, combined with Dolby Vision, ensures crystal clear pictures of all the action. There's also Dolby Atmos and sound by Onkyo, guaranteeing that surround sound cinematic experience. It's also the ideal centrepiece for your smart home. The UK 4D has Alexa built in so you can control your home with your voice, even if you've misplaced your remote. It's also packed with all of your favourite apps, including Netflix, Amazon Music, Twitch, TikTok and many more. Visit www.bringyourworldtolife.com to shop the range now. Now on to today's episode. The World Cup serves up sporting magic like nothing else. You remember where you were when you saw those iconic moments. Watching them unfold on TV, they're etched in our memories forever. So today we're reminiscing about some of our absolute favourites. Welcome to the Football Rambles Guide to Unforgettable World Cup Moments. Hello chaps. Hello. Hello. There we go. Uh, gentlemen, it's, it's a big one today. We are talking about unforgettable World Cup moments. And uh, what makes an unforgettable World Cup moment? What are the, what are the ingredients, Luke Moore? Um, I would say that it has to be a really memorable event and it has to happen in the World Cup. And it has to be <laughs> a kind of like a momentary occasion. Mm. Um, that would probably be my parameters. I don't know about <laughs> you guys. Andy, can um, you drill down on that a bit more? <laughs> you, you, you know what? I think what's really important is it shouldn't. when we think of an unforgettable World Cup moment, it shouldn't just be the great moments. I think it should be the absolute sickeners as well. You know, those live that's with really you too, point. don't they? Yeah, but that still can be a great moment in a, in a way, Andy, a memorable exactly. moment. Yeah, and un- I mean, it is yeah. unforgettable World Cup moments, yes. Andy Brassel. So we've covered your little, uh, uh, you know, area there. Thank you. <laughs> I would say in many ways, I would go even go further than Andy and say that yeah. actually, particularly if you're an England fan, oh, yeah. most of the unforgettable moments are completely <laughs> terrible. Yeah. So uh, it's almost like they're they're in lockstep with each other. I would say there's not. I mean, if you if you if, you, if someone said to you now, right, sit down and mm. sketch down your your top the five most unforgettable moments of England at a World Cup, it's not e- that easy to think of five positive ones. Yeah, well, but then you would put them in the forgettable memories, wouldn't you? However, when England drew nil nil with that in that game against Algeria, you can't yeah. forget it, even though it would should be classified as a <laughs> yeah. forgettable. Memory. I'll you never want forget, to forget how that made it. me feel. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, yeah, but that's not the spirit of what we're doing today, of course. So, look, why, yeah. don't, why don't you get us underway with, a, with yeah. an unforgettable World Cup moment? And I'm assuming it's not about England. It's not about England. Um, and when I was doing my little bits of uh, prep for this and thinking about what I could do, there were just so many options, um, so many different things. I've been in love with the World Cup ever since I can remember. For me- people of my generation, I say for, for many, many people of my generation, but I think probably any football fan of my generation or our generation, the World Cup has always been the kind of pinnacle. And I think that's why 
we're always so passionate about it and, and actually why we're so passionate about England as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had loads to choose from. Um, and eventually I settled on a man headbutting another man. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, unless you're a connoisseur of World Cup headbutts, um, which I wouldn't consider myself to be. Yeah. So as a result, I can't think of any other ones apart from the, I mean, actually, to be fair, if, if, you, if you're doing a Mount Rushmore of World Cup headbutts, it's probably just Zidane or Materazzi, and that's mm. it. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I've I'm gone, sure there's. I've gone for that. Yeah, I'm sure there's probably one or two others in there, but but this is yeah the most uh, stunning one. Uh, so all. I'd say so. And I think I think um, like for me, it's and, I, and for those of you who maybe aren't that familiar, I'll just give you a very very quick pricey of, of what happened. About ten minutes from the end of extra time in the 2006 World Cup final between France and Italy. The great Zidane and Marco Materazzi, who's an outstanding Italian defender, the Matrix, as they called him, was his nickname, um, were jogging both both jogging back in quite a benign way towards the halfway line. Um, and there was a little bit of verbal, a little bit of interaction, which is the type of which you would see in every single game you've you've ever seen, probably, I would say. I mean, it's always the kind of, you know, a little bit of back chat back and forth and then it just exploded into an amazing display of like unfettered violence from Zinedine Zidane who just like powerfully smashed his head into Marco Materazzi's chest now I'm not going to go into big detail about the actual thing because you would have all seen it even if you don't know the, exactly the context but it was it wasn't a footballer's headbutt first and foremost because footballer's headbutts are head brushes. almost universally disappointing um, and this was not that <laughs> And he didn't. And what I liked about it as well is that Zidane didn't didn't get put off by the fact that Materazzi was miles taller than him. He thought, I'll, I'll just put it in his chest. I'll just put it in his chest. Well, it's an odd place to land a headbutt. Really, I've never seen I, it done before or since. No, I think it and, would be it, it wouldn't be that effective in hurting him. You know, but that maybe maybe that's what he was doing. Maybe he didn't actually want to fully kind of headbutt him in the face because that would have been particularly shocking. I, don't, I, don't, I think it would have hurt him. Yeah, I think so. Winded. It's not going to be yeah. as explosive as doing it. Yeah, it's not going to be as explosive. But, but let, me, let me just give you a little bit more detail as to why I chose it, because I know it's a bit of a knockabout thing and it's not necessarily, you know, a traditional choice. But I think it partly is tapped into what Andy said, which is that if we're talking about things that are truly memorable mm-hmm. and that are truly, you know, people will look at that and go, oh man, that is, oh yeah, I remember that kind of thing. Mm. In a way, it's arguably more iconic because because it's never really happened before and it's yeah. very unlikely to happen again. And of course, there are great World Cup goals. There are winning goals in finals. There are all the rest of it. You know, the great Grosso goal for Italy in, in the semi-final against Germany, that kind of stuff. And, you know, all these different things. That is almost a unique, I think it's an entirely unique moment. And I would also just add that if you go back and look at that final, it, it basically had everything so it had amazing players right mm-hmm. if you if you look at the lineups mm. of the teams essentially with the exception of possibly Willie Sanyol I would say <laughs> they're all pretty well-known players like mm. uh, greats really probably just one player that everyone wouldn't be familiar with that started the final there was a great um penalty from Zidane off the crossbar like a Penenka penalty just outrageous penalty in, yeah. in effect to do in a final so early on in that final as well I think after about 10 minutes Materazzi himself scored so both the scorers were involved mm. in that incident mm. and it was on the biggest stage of all with the most drama you can imagine and to me it's just an entirely unique event and so I had to choose it yeah no I think it's a very good choice and I think that yeah I remember how shocked I was when 
when you saw the replay because of course it happened kind of off camera really um, yeah. as the action mm. as you say we kind of panned round and there was a little bit of a ruckus and Matarazzi's gone down and we knew he, he, he liked to play act a little bit and, and so on and you think well, what on earth's gone on here oh this will be one of those clips where you see that if we do have a camera angle of it you know yeah. Zidane will be going past him and he'll just slightly scuff his shoulder against his and he'll go down yeah all right here it goes and then you see it and you go oh my goodness like like you say look I've never seen that before or since on a football field and it and shocking is actually the word I actually I remember watching the match kind of wanting France to win actually I thought they were the better side they were definitely the more ambitious as the game went on and and I thought no I think France I, I quite like them and when that happened it kind of it's a weird one how football does this to you. It kind of soured it for me, and I think I started wanting Italy to win. Although when I look back on it, I do think, my goodness, you know, what a way to go out kind of thing. <laughs> but that, yeah, it's, it. the last, it's basically the last act that Zidane ever did in football. And basically. that photo or, or that footage of him walking past the trophy with you yeah. know, Zidane 10, such an iconic number and, and name on the back of, of his shirt, having scored two goals in the final in 98 and kind of owned that tournament, really. Yeah. And here he was for, his, for the ultimate swan song, playing your last game in a final, and it ends with such an explosive moment having had such an incredible moment as Luke said Andy scoring a Penenka penalty the sheer cheek of it ball didn't even touch the net it just went over the line uh, and he was the player of the tournament as well but if you're thinking of Zidane it finished the way it was meant to finish uh, there are so mm. few players who get to choose the way they go out even the very best players um, as we suppose we're seeing with Cristiano Ronaldo at the, at the moment but the, he the, didn't really got... choose to be sent off though did he Andy he chose to headbutt Matarazzi. He chose to react with mm. extreme violence. And I think that is the thing. If you look at Zidane's career, it's this incredible mix of balletic grace on the ball and this just undercurrent of violence that's ready to erupt at any moment and it could go at any moment. And you've got both those elements of Zidane in his, his very mm. final match, which I, I think is it's actually quite fitting. I mean, there was the controversy around the sending off, of course. There was a, a lot of people saying, well, actually, did did the referee see it and so on? And the referees always maintained that he, he knew what happened and uh, and so on and so forth. But uh, but there was a lot of controversy and a lot of chat after the game, Luke, on that. Yeah, someone said that, um, that it was ultimately the first VAR decision because it was, you know, un, unwarranted, but kind of unsanctioned, if you like, or unlicensed or whatever because it wasn't part of the laws of the game at the time. But... People are saying that you know the referee was given information from a video screen. And that's the first time that happened. But I just want to drill down to what Andy said because I agree. I think um, Zidane is the ultimate iron fist in the velvet glove as a player. I mean, if you look, that was the fourteenth red card of his career. Uh, when asked to justify that, he said, "But if you look back at them, twelve of them I was provoked." Which is like, yeah, okay, you still <laughs> need to do it. But but yeah. what I what I really love about that moment is because it was so befitting of the player so it's not yeah. just like oh it's a moment of madness you know mm. who, who knows and he's, and he's kind of pilloried for it I think that and Andy will know this better than me but I think that in France a, a large proportion of people kind of understood it and I would go farther, further and say they were even kind of actually quite proud of him you know, in their eyes, like standing up for himself. Yeah. And I would say also, it was the ultimate act of someone who was the ultimate outsider. He didn't have a traditional career. He, he blossomed very late as a player he um, always had this air of someone, and I don't want to get too into the kind of the politics of his background or whatever, but he always had this air of someone who um, 
felt like an outsider, who played like an outsider in a world of football that was becoming more and more tactical. He was he seemed like a very talented, instinctive player. And of course, mm-hmm. he rose to the very top of the game, played for some of the very best teams um, in the world. And there is even now controversy about whether people, so a lot of people who, you know, who cover football in a, in a kind of maybe a more tactical way, but so they weren't actually sure that Zidane was able to be that good for that amount of time. And he wasn't really, does he deserve to be one of the greats and all the rest of it? Now, I don't agree with that. The point being that he was able to maintain an amazing amount of standards, talent and ability, win an amazing amount of things, but also be entirely controversial consistently throughout his career. And that moment typified that. And that's why I chose it. Well, while we're sort of briefly on moments of madness, what about uh, Luis Suarez having a little bite of uh, Giorgio Chiellini? That was quite shocking, wasn't it? Why are they always on Italian players? I don't... <laughs> because they're very tasty. Yeah. That was the amazing moment, just chiefly because it was like, it got you out of your seat. Again, it's, yeah. a completely great, it's a great example. It's like, what the, what the, because you don't expect to see it. You know, it's no. like, what's going on here? You know? he, and, and I love that Suarez tried to make out that he, um, somehow he was the victim as well. Yeah, that well he will do. Yeah, uh, <laughs> was it as shocking as the old Yogi Love scratch and sniff, Andy? <laughs> <laughs> that's the big. Oh, that's the big um, crescendo to this episode. We're doing that finish? one last. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Forty <laughs> minutes on Yogi Love sniffing his own his own nuts. Um, Andy, what about your um, most uh, unforgettable World Cup moment? I'm also going to go for a, a World Cup final. It also involves Italy, but it's Roberto Baggio's penalty miss to end the 1994 World Cup final in, in, in the My shootout. Great choice. My and it's, it's one of those ones, if there's there's a certain poetry to what happened with Zidane, I, this one still hurts when I think about it. You know, not being mm-hmm. Italian, not being an Italy fan. I, I think Baggio... You're a fan of pigtails, Andy. Uh, well, I, I'm a fan of those, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, Baggio is one of the... I think most underrated European players of all time. Despite the fact people know he's a great, I don't think people quite understand how great he is. And maybe it would have been different if he'd have put this penalty away and Italy had gone on to win it. Remember, they they wouldn't have been anywhere near the final if it it wasn't for him. Um, He had taken Italy, particularly through the knockout stages the whole way, whilst struggling with a knee injury the whole time. He, He had a bit of a, a hamstring complaint when he got to the final as well so he wasn't quite at his best although the best moments that Italy had still revolved around him and once we got to the end of extra time still at nil nil I mean I think we have it in our minds that Baggio was the the only player who who missed from the penalty spot which he wasn't he was the third Italian no. player to miss from the penalty spot but he was the one who you expected to carry them over the line and instead he clubbed the ball way over the bar and it's, it's funny when he spent a long time obviously trying to get it straight in his head afterwards what had happened because it was a devastating moment for him he um, retreated to Argentina to get a bit of peace and quiet until the paparazzi discovered him and it took him years to to come to terms with it but I, I think when he describes it in his autobiography he says well actually the penalty was pretty good because Tafarel dives I thought I thought I'd just stick it straight up the mm-hmm. middle elevate it a little bit so it went above his legs it just went like 10 foot higher than i was expecting it to and um you know it was was probably his only misstep during the tournament but i think if that had gone in and italy went on to win he would have been regarded not quite alongside maradona but certainly alongside maradona as a player who almost won a world cup single-handedly so 
It felt unjust. What we didn't mm. get is the spectacle. If you think of 2002, where Oliver Kahn makes the error that leads to the opening goal by Ronaldo in, in the mm. final, and he still gets, Oliver Kahn still gets the golden ball, doesn't he, as the player of the tournament at the end. Yeah. Baggio, really unjustly, only gets the silver ball. Romario wins the golden ball in this tournament. And I, I can't think of many players who are more deserving of, of getting the golden ball at a World Cup than Baggio in 94. The difference between, say, Baggio's moment here and Zidane's moment that we've just talked about is that Baggio essentially ends on disappointment, like entirely disappointment, and it's not on his own terms at all. Mm. And it's so fickle, isn't mm. it? Like, you talk about golden ball. Golden balls are so fickle in World Cups anyway. I mean, the one the one messy one recently was ridiculous, for example. And I think if it's going to hinge on whether Baggio scores a penalty or not to give him the golden ball... It's a shit award. It's a shit award because yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you it shouldn't have done. Events it shouldn't have done. No, nah, it shouldn't. No, and so, but I mean, Romario, well, Romario had an excellent tournament, though. We should say he did, he did, of course. But but the point is, and we've covered this before, Marcus, elsewhere years ago. We covered um, the '94 World Cup. I remember we talked about how good Baggio was, and no one talks about that now because all they talk mm. about is that penalty. But I mean, Baggio, the, the the moments he dug out though for Italy. I mean, you know, they were down to ten men against Nigeria. In the second round, you know, he, he scores uh, two. Obviously, one of them is a penalty. But it's the coolness under pressure. It's to take those moments where the, the the window of opportunity opens ever so slightly and he's there. And people might say, well, you've compared him slightly to Maradona. Well, Maradona beat the whole team and he, you know, this, that and the other. And it wasn't as swashbuckling as Maradona, we should say. Um, but, I mean, you know, we are com- comparing him to one of, if not the greatest player of all time there in his greatest moments. But with Baggio, again, it was those precise moments that he was there. He he sniffed out the, the opportunity. He created it and took it. And it shows you the the precision of of uh, and the and the the talent and the intelligence of the man to do that because a lot of other players wouldn't have been there they wouldn't have taken those chances it, uh, under pressure and yeah. of course Italy you know Saki gambled in the group stages I think it was against Norway when they went down to ten men again and he took Baggio off and Baggio's tournament started badly because yeah. you know and it, I think it was Dino Baggio um, who who got them out of trouble that day so Baggio was a bit like oh is this is this going to be a slightly disappointing tournament how's this going to go and I can remember against Nigeria in that second round match the commentator said and finally Roberto Baggio delivers well then he would go on to deliver in the quarterfinal and the semi-final as well and score the mm. vital goals that would get them through yeah. and he was up and running he was slightly hurt or slightly injured for the final which was a shame but I do think the right team won that tournament that's all fair but just just to jump in I would say that um when we're talking about moments, we're talking about things that are really transcending um, the sport itself and people can share them and, and they, they are really, even before the internet, they're bite-sized things that people can tack onto. Yeah. And it's very difficult to get across to a broad public or to a, mm-hmm. to a consciousness that, you know, Baggio played brilliantly for the entirety of, say, the quarterfinal. But what you can do is you can take those moments. I, I couldn't tell you how many mm-hmm. times I had seen Baggio put that penalty over the bar before, even before we ever started the round. But it was just such a big moment. And it's just unfortunate mm. for him that the biggest moment of his career, because it's a mm-hmm. World Cup final, it's a deciding penalty, was such a disappointing one. And no matter who you are, that's mm. always going to be with you. That's always going to colour anything else you've done, I think. And so bad, the reason Badger's underrated is for all the reasons we've talked about. But ultimately, because for the most defining portion of his career is one where he, you know, I don't want to be rude to him or whatever, but he, he basically failed. And so that's always going to have an effect. 
It's the unjustness of it, I, I, I think. The fact is that, it unjust because he did do it, and it was the biggest moment. No, I, th- I think it is because you know it's it's just it's just one kick, and you know his whole tournament had, had had been amazing. The redemption arc already was incredible. When you talk about, as Marcus was saying, about him being taken off against Norway and having that false start to the tournament, the fact that he had um, knee surgery in the in the march and yet he still came in i think people kind of look back at that now you know when we see half fit star players getting taken to the the world yeah. cup i think their coaches always hope that they will be baggio but they will never be baggio <laughs> because only baggio yeah. is baggio you can't take half fit yeah. players to yeah. the world cup but because he produced this near miracle which he didn't quite get over the line i think people still have that in their mind as a as a possible yeah and i think that's fair Andy. yeah that again we talked about Zidane walking past the trophy and what an iconic image that shot of Baggio with his hands on his hips yeah and you just think that's mm. football isn't it it you is. can be absolutely brilliant for all of those knockout games be probably the player of the tournament and then in that moment it is all taken away from you in, in the most brutal um, of ways if I link it back to Zidane again just very very quick before we move on mm-hmm. how good was Zidane against Brazil in 2006 mm. yeah Right, and how much do people talk about that compared to the headbutt? They don't. So it's the same principle, really. Mm, it is indeed, gentlemen. My uh, moment. We go back to the 1990 World Cup, um, which of course was memorable for England fans for for many many reasons, of course. Um, but I haven't chosen an England moment. You'll be all relieved to know. This was a, 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 an unbelievably uh, unforgettable moment, and it was. When Colombia and Cameroon were playing in the second round, the game had gone to extra time. The great Roger Miller had opened the scoring with a delightful goal to put Cameroon 1 yeah. 0 up. And then Rene Higuita thought, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And, <laughs> yeah. and I think stuff. this is so unforgettable because it would be, I think, because there's a Dan headbutt, uh, you know, a headbutt of that kind of manner and, and the magnitude of the event and so on. And the same with Baggio, you know, the. Tournament. Imagine if Messi is the best player in the in the tournament in a World Cup, and then he he hits his penalty otherwise. That kind of thing. Whereas this is also t- it's timeless. It's not a case of oh well, of course players acted like that back in the day, or oh well, you know that that moment is from the nineteen seventy World Cup. Of course, we expected that from from in that kind of current climate in that climate. Sorry, but this with with Rene Higuita, you know, coming way out of his goal in a sweeper keeper kind of fashion. Some suggest he almost pioneered that, by the way. But I mean, you've got you've got goalkeepers. Not very well. Who, yeah, well, you've got goalkeepers <laughs> who play with their feet, and then you've got goalkeepers who try and do you know almost like Cruyff turns in front of um, very, very, very uh, dangerous centre forwards. You know, about twenty five, yeah. thirty yards out of uh, out of their goal line, and that's of course what he did. So um, he, he, the game is put. Colombia are losing the game one nil, and Rene Higuita is way out of his box. He's playing like an extra man. So it's almost as if Colombia have got 11 outfield players. And the defender, he knocks it to the defender. And the defender, under an element of pressure from, from, from Cameroon, knocks it back to Higuita. Now, this is where Higuita needs to distribute it quickly because Roger Miller's bearing down on him. And Higuita tries, as I say, like a Cruyff turn almost, a little sort of back heel drag past Miller, who easily robs him. I mean, it's not even a bit of a chase or anything. He easily robs him. Yeah, there are, there are just... people on this call that could have fucking robbed him. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. And then the ball is, is tapped into into the net, and Higuita himself 
said it was a mistake as big as a house. <laughs> what a great phrase. Marcus, yeah. this, is very, this is very much a dessert to the three-course meal that has been this show. Could I just uh, say? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, I think it would have been more fitting had he have said, this was this is a mistake as big as um, Andres Escobar's house. Uh, yeah. That would have been. Because, I mean, Higita, I mean, just a fascinating and at times kind of... Well, I mean, tragic it, character, you would say. I mean, he got caught up in, in, uh, yeah. in, in a bit of organised crime. Mm. Um, it, it, difficult, what, what, how to approach that conversation? But I think we'll just can, leave can it there. Can you be caught up in a bit of organised crime? Well, <laughs> <laughs> just a bit. Well, uh, yeah, I, I famously, mean, was, famously very difficult to just have a bit of organised crime. Uh, do you know it? what though? If you read the story, I actually think that's not a bad description okay. of it okay yeah to be to defend my but, words but, but what's what's really just about that moment is that yeah. um, and i love that moment i love the 1990 world cup as anyone who's listened to our shows over the years will know is that it was a coming together of two um really fascinating stories because yeah. you, the heat one which you've touched on but the roger miller story is is fascinating as well because oh, i think it, going into 1990 i think he's you know he's he's seen as a not a finished player, but an old player now who mm. isn't really isn't really considered. I think he's playing for a club on Reunion Island, he which is, is yeah. you know obviously you know a million miles away from from um, where anywhere really. He uh, retired from international football. He retired from international football. And they called him up, and he has this amazing tournament. Oh, he has these, the president uh, called him up. Let's be clear. Oh, did he? Okay, so look, <laughs> that's but, as, but, as, as the story up. goes. That the, okay. the head of state in Cameroon was basically like, "We need you," because he he was clearly Cameroon's best export in terms of football players. And, I, and, I, and I, I think what's really interesting about the World Cup in 1990 generally and this kind of thing is that, so when people talk about the 1990 World Cup, they talk about the diving, the fouls, the cynicism, the the, the, the fact that it was, you know, for, for people who apparently know loads about football or whatever, say that it wasn't a great World Cup, like it was boring. All this, that stuff went on for years, talking about World Cup 90, lowest goals per game, all the rest of it. But if you look at the second round, which is what this game occurred mm-hmm. within, you have this amazing incident where you, know, you mm-hmm. talked about Cameron being a goal up. It was an extra time, and it was just two minutes after Cameron had scored. And then Colombia got a goal back later on to make the last five minutes really nervy. You know, Elsewhere in that second round, Czechoslovakia beat Costa Rica 4-1. Brazil played Argentina in the second round. West Germany played Netherlands, which is another massive derby mm-hmm. in the second round. That was game was full of incidents. Well, and, and unforgettable moments. You could you could chuck in um, Frank Reichard spitting on Rudy, uh, 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 on um, old Voller. Well, I haven't even mentioned the England last-minute winner by David, well, David Platt against Platt's Belgium as well. Volley as well. So there's loads of stuff that went on that game. In many ways, like like, like counterintuitively, mm-hmm. that moment you've identified there in that second round actually sums up that phase of that tournament quite well, even though most people's minds who, who remember it, they remember it as being quite a boring tournament. I completely disagree. Yeah, it's about drama as well. I, I mean, I think all of these have to be not just like arresting moments, but moments of their time. And I, I think this is because when you see Igita going for a, a, a wander, okay, it's partly conditioned by the match situation. It's um, something that, that he was he was known for anyway, but it's not something that we really saw goalkeepers do. I, th- I think if you see this with no. 2022 eyes, it's very, very different to if you see it with 1990 eyes. Bruce Grobelar, for example, like never played at a World Cup. Who is the goalkeeper you would most associate with that goalkeeper sweeper but, but, type thing? Yeah, at, but he at never that came time. out as far as Higuita though. Like this, this is what I mean. That's what my point at the start is that at any point, if you see a goalkeeper that far out playing around with the, with the back four, 
or the defenders. I, that's why I thought was like, what on earth is he doing out there? And well, I think my point is that, that, like, in in the modern world, you, you'd see. I think you'd be fine seeing Manuel Neuer doing that. Now. Yeah, yeah, you'd, you'd see Manuel Neuer doing that, and he wouldn't you make that mistake as well. <laughs> yeah. trying, exactly. to Cruyff, trying to Cruyff turn like something. Yeah, well, but I mean, it, it was incredible. I mean, Higuita himself, I think, was only twenty three or twenty four when that happened, which seems crazy because to me, he's always been about thirty five. <laughs> yeah. um, but 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 Roger Miller, as you say, was was pretty much you know he retired from international football at the time, and he was he was an old man, and he was he was brought back in, and he became the oldest scorer at the World Cup, and then of course he he would break his own record four years later in the States. I mean, Roger Roger Miller Roger Miller was voted African Footballer of the Year in 1976 and in 1990. <laughs> That's brilliant. That is in- incredible. I think he started his professional career in the late 60s or maybe 1970. I'm not sure if the first side he played for were fully professional. So that's how, how, how long ago he started playing. He played in the 82 World Cup with Cameroon. And then, and, and then he came and he was always an impact subber because he, he couldn't manage the full thing. And of course, they would get to the quarterfinals winning this game, which was the furthest an African side had ever gone. It was equaled with uh, Senegal in 2002 uh, and nearly bettered by Ghana in 2010. And if we're talking about massive, unforgettable moments, I mean, that game, obviously... Luis Suarez's oh handball. Oh my god! You know, so that I mean, that I was... completely forgot about that. That was <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the the distillation, the definitive yeah. kind of Marvel baddie moment in the history of the World Cup. Like he, <laughs> it was like it was like someone like totally ad- like absolutely accepting and encouraging himself as being just the bad guy. Totally, and then yeah. reveling I mean, in it afterwards. It was just, but I mean, the first World Cup in Africa. Here, there we were an African team about to make history in their own continent. Uh, and uh, Suarez is like, nah, yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's just, let's, sorry, neutrals. And remind, everybody, remind the listeners what he did. Just remind them what he did. Well, of course, it was in the, the dying seconds of, of extra time. The game is poised at one all and Ghana break forward. And there's a massive scramble in the box, uh, which to be honest, when you look back at it, Ghana should have put that away. They shouldn't yeah. have given Suarez an opportunity to handball it, but anyway, but but the ball is is knocked towards the goal. And Suarez, of course, makes this um, great save with his hand on the goal line, which uh, results in him getting sent off and Ghana uh, having a penalty. So they've still got a penalty, yeah. And Asamoahjan uh, misses that penalty in the, with pretty much the last kick of, of extra time, and it goes to penalties. And Uruguay win on penalties. So, Marcus, what do, you, what do you think about that? Somebody cut in, but like philosophically, yeah. do you blame Suarez? Not the no, manner of how no, he did no. it, yeah. And also, because you. If you look at it, Ghana have still got that penalty to have. That, that, and I know it's very late in the game, but then obviously Uruguay down to 10 men. And they've got the penalty shootout. And I think if they had took any of those opportunities to go through, no one would really be talk, would talking I think, about it. I think people sometimes respond to this as if Suarez picked up the ball, walked off the pitch, decided Uruguay got through to the semi-final and that, and was, that it, was the yeah. end of that it's kind of, <laughs> yeah. no no no, no the, the, everything then played out the way it should you yeah, know, the laws of the game existed and worked yeah, quite it, well yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> he got sent off they got they got a penalty I mean that, that's that's how it goes and I think that we were all gutted because every neutral on the planet was wanting Ghana to win that game and, and it was so so sad for Jan uh, but fortunately he did score his penalty in the shootout and, and kudos to him to stepping up because that would have been that would have been too much, I think. For There's a consolation. He was the full guy. <laughs> yeah, I still don't think, he, I don't think it, uh, it's very unlikely he got that much sleep that night, though. No, of course. But I'm saying if he'd have missed, if he'd have been the full guy in the shootout as well. It would have been I slightly worse than it already that was. Would have been, that, would have been, that, would have been, that would have been worse. Um, gentlemen, shall we end with uh, 
perhaps uh, the most unforgettable moment in World Cup history, Diego Maradona's performance and goals against England in uh, the World Cup in 1986. Oh, we've got Peter Shilton on. We've got Shilton in there. <laughs> if you want him in on? there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you, uh, did, <laughs> come on. Did anyone tell Peter Shilton that Argentina isn't actually in Europe anyway? Uh, I did. Well, I, did, I yeah. I, I mean, he only had one vote like the rest of us. But, uh, but I mean, yes, Andy, this is it, isn't it? Maradona's handball. Do you think that is the defining, most unforgettable World Cup moment? Well, I'm, I'm not sure if it's the, even the defining moment of that game because I'll take that as a no. Because he <laughs> scores possibly the best goal in World Cup history about five minutes later. It's so, you it's think so remarkable. The juxtaposition between those two moments is is what makes mm. that so remarkable. I think. When you say that his second goal was perhaps a defining moment, I mean, Saeed Al Oiran did that in '94, Andy. You know, <laughs> whereas, whereas, right. perfected you know, it, you might say. The- <laughs> Whereas what Al Iran should have done in that game was then try to score one with a hand. And do, you know he, do you know what he calls the Maradona one? He calls it. He calls it the warm up. <laughs> he, he calls it the test run. He does. He absolutely does. Yeah. I mean, look, we we don't have to. to can to I, can I just give you a little controversial take to finish about that Maradona, the whole Maradona thing in eighty six? Shouldn't shouldn't have been allowed that first goal. I think I think it was probably handball. No, uh, I I <laughs> would. And it's interesting what you guys think about this and. I'm not, I promise you I'm not trying to be controversial for the sake of it, but I, I think it's not, it's not a take of mine that has been greeted that warmly over the years. But I'm going <laughs> to stick with it. <laughs> and that is that I feel like it's like tremendously disrespectful to at least a handful of other Argentinian players in 1986 to say that Maradona World won the World Cup quote-unquote single-handedly. No, of course it is, yeah. And no, that's, they that's never good. they never get a mention. You know, if you look at the contributions from like mm. say Burachaga, who has a yeah. key contribution mm. in the final, plays well throughout. George Valdano, seen as one of the, the game's yeah. greatest thinkers, played for Real Madrid for like four seasons. You know, the, even the there, there, there are had these great moments. You know? Yeah, there are other there are other players. Now, I'm not saying the point isn't that they were as good as Maradona. Of course, I'm not saying that. And in many ways, it's not even Maradona's fault that he sucked all the attention in. But I just think that people love to get stuck into that narrative. And without being too boring about it, Maradona didn't win the World Cup single-handedly because he fucking can't, right? No one can. It's a team sport. And so I feel like when you look at Valdano, for example, who has been, I mean, Andy, you'll know better than me, a massively influential figure in football around the world... No one really even knows who he is. And I think that's a real shame because football's about the team and football's about a lot more than just one player and, and well, an individual that's true. incident. That's, be- that's because people remember him being Real Madrid sporting director and describing Liverpool versus Chelsea as shit on a stick. That's, that, <laughs> really, that's, in many ways, that, that should make him better known. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it, it probably should, but just just not as a player. No, it, it's, it's a fair point, but uh, and it, it goes back to Baggio in 94 as well. But, it you know, it's, it's impossible for a football player to win a tournament single-handedly however it is not impossible for that player to define a tournament and define a time Baggio did that in 94 Maradona did that more successfully um, because of the denouement in 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 1986 and it's still a remarkable thing when a player does that and when we're talking about unforgettable moments in, in a world cup you know Maradona provided like two of those in the same game well, we'll finish on that note, Andy. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us on another Football Ramble Guide too. Remember, we want your ideas for what to talk about next. If you fancy learning more about football's 
puzzling past or its more modern phenomena, get in touch. Email show at footballramble.com or tweet us at footballramble with your suggestions. And remember, the World Cup's here and Christmas is just around the corner. So it's a perfect chance to upgrade your home viewing experience with Toshiba. Shop the latest range at bringyourworldtolife.com. See you next time. Football Ramble is a stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.